did you know that auto racing is all about sensor data? Well, there's a lot of other parts to it as well, but sensor data is a very important component. And on today, on episode number 121 of CXO Talk, we're talking about auto racing. We're talking about information technology. I'm Michael Krigsman. My co-host is Vala Offshore. And Vala, how are you? Michael, I'm doing great. I'm excited to learn from one of the top CIOs in not only racing, but in the industry, and also perhaps our first ultra-marathoner who's on our show. Hello, hello, Graham. Hey, Michael. Hey, Vala. It's, uh, it's a real pleasure to be here. I, uh, I remember when Vivek from Tibco called you guys Click and Clack, and I just thought that was brilliant. So <laughs> I love Click and Clack, so it's great to be here. All right. Yes, uh, so, owner so, of the Sacramento so, Kings. So are you Click or am I Clack, or how does that work? Whoever you know, knows is Click. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, anytime an NBA owner calls us names, we just accept and go on. So, <laughs> Yes, and so on that note, we are joined today by... Graham Hackland, who is the Chief Information Officer for Williams Martini Racing. And anybody who is involved with Formula One or auto racing in general knows that name. Graham, give us a sense of your, of your professional background very briefly. So I, um, I grew up in South Africa. And in 1990, I saw an, an advert in the newspaper that said, computer engineer wanted, no experience necessary which was perfect because I'd never touched a computer. Uh, and I went for the job and got it. And, and from there, you know, got into, I became a, a master certified Novell engineer. Can you, can you, can you remember those days uh, with Novell? Uh, I do remember those days, yes. Novell was a great product. Yeah, absolutely. Netware was, uh, was my thing. And uh, I moved to England in 1994 um, and, uh, and traveled all over England with a reseller. 1997, I got into Formula One. So this is actually my 18th season in Formula One. Um, 1997 with the Benetton team, great times. Uh, in the year 2000, we were bought by Renault with the aim of winning the world championship in five years, which I thought was going to be really tough, right? Uh, but in 2005 and six, which are the highlight of my career so far, we, we did win the championships, both the drivers and instructors. Fabulous time. Uh, and then in 2014, I got the opportunity to join Sir Frank Williams uh, and join the Williams Martini Racing Team. Uh, to, to, to be a part of this business transformation that they kicked off with the sole aim of taking Williams back to the front of the grid. And I, I thought that was really exciting. So, yeah, so so that's, uh, that's since awesome. January last year, I've been with the team. That's awesome. Graham, tell us a little bit about William Martini Racing, about the size of the group, the mission, and, and uh, you know, overall company profile. So, so Frank and, uh, and his partner, who was uh, one of the leading uh, technology guys of the day, um, recently knighted, Sir Patrick Head, set up the team in 1977. Um, really small team. But by 1980, they won their first world championship, taking on all of these big teams with a lot more budget than they have, uh, and, did a, and did an absolutely fantastic job. Um, and, and between then and 1997, the team won 16 world championships. Uh, seven for drivers and, and nine for, the, for, for Williams as a constructor. So, you know, a, a fantastic heritage that Williams have in Formula One. Um, and then in 2013, had a really tough year, and that's when Sir Frank decided to initiate this business transformation uh, to take the team back to the front of the grid. So you're the CIO of Williams Martini Racing. What does information technology in 
this type of organization actually do? Yeah, so we have everything that most of the other CIOs who are watching this will recognize. Uh, I, I guess we operate across the whole life cycle of the Formula One car. So everything from aerodynamics to design to manufacturing to the actual engineering of the car that everybody recognizes on a, on a race weekend when they're watching uh, on television. So we're, we're trying to get concepts uh, from aerodynamics and designers as quickly as we can through that electronic chain all the way to the car. And how does the business of racing make it unique for IT? Can you talk a little bit about the demands on your team when every second when, uh, on race day matters? And, and, and Vala, that, that's, that's the key, I think. It's that real-time nature of what we do. Uh, it's very public. So when, when you have successes, it's amazing. Everybody wants to talk to you. Uh, <laughs> and when it's not going so well, <laughs> everyone disappears. And you know, it, it's, it's really public. But the great thing as well is that every... You know, 19, 20 times a year, every two weeks, uh, you get a chance to have another go. So if, if you had a bad race, uh, like we did earlier this year in Monaco, you've got a race coming up, and the very next race after we had a tough time in Monaco, we were on the podium. So you know, you, you get that opportunity to turn things around very quickly. And season by season, the cars are changed completely, totally redesigned. Um, so, so, so we get that, we get that constant in, uh, demand for innovation. And that, that I think, is why I'm, I've been in the industry so long. The car is changed every race. And so there's an expectation that across the whole company we'll have this constant innovation and, and, and change. And, and, and I think that's the thing that keeps all of the IT professionals who work within Formula One so engaged. We have already a question from Twitter from <laughs> Joanna Young, who's a former guest on... CXO Talk and is CIO, I believe, of the Michigan State uh, Higher Education University system, who's wondering how do you, what's it like to get technology, the kind of technology that you have to work on a race car, on this moving vehicle that's going so quickly, and with all the stresses and strains? Yeah, the car, I mean, we talk about connected cars now, uh, you know, coming on, onto the streets uh, all over the world. Um, Formula One cars have been connected cars. You know, when I when I joined Formula One in in 1997, they were already connected cars. Then data was being captured from the cars. Uh, so we've been doing this for a long time, instrumenting the car. We've got uh, over 200 sensors, a thousand channels of data, um, 30 to 40 people constantly reading that data over the course of the race weekend in order to firstly improve performance and secondly to make sure that we're reliable and we get to the end of the end of the race so yeah it's it's something that formula 1 has been doing for a long time it's been really successful we attract as an industry we attract really innovative uh, companies and people to come and work with us so i mean it it seems like you've this combination of speed quality precision and and again real time analytics that has to convert to insights and rapid decisions and actions what type, with all these challenges, what, what type of skill set do you look for when you're recruiting into your IT organization? Are you looking for data scientists and folks that can, you know, not only maintain the infrastructure to, to fuel the innovation, but also help the racing team understand, you know, 200 sensors, 1,000 channels, and all the ocean of data that's coming at you? 
Yeah, so in our vehicle science group, we will have data scientists and uh, our, strat our chief strategist uh, who, who sits on the pit wall and, and is making those real-time calls and giving advice to the race engineers, uh, and, and they have to make those decisions in a very short space of time. And when you get it wrong, like I said, it's very public. All the fans are on social media calling you all sorts of names when they think you've got it wrong. So it's, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great sport, but uh, you don't half get hammered if you, <laughs> if you get something slightly wrong. Uh, within IT, we, we don't have uh, the data scientist type skills. Um, we'll rely on our partners. So we, we have people like BT and uh, Evernard who've partnered with us, uh, and they will bring a lot of those kind of skills to us uh, to, to augment the, the IT team. We're only 20 people within IT, um, and uh, we, we need to make sure that we, we bring in extra resource and skills and, and, and people. And the kind of people that we look for in Formula One uh, tend not to be, uh, we don't tend to chase the technical skills. We need to find the right personalities. And that's always the tricky thing, right? You, you've got to find the people who, who can cope with these extreme demands. Uh, the guys who travel, you know, we, we have people who travel with the race team and who support all of the systems and who monitor the telemetry while the car is out on the track. They have to make sure that those systems are running 100% of the time that the car is on the track. And if something goes down, because you know we're in a racetrack in the middle of nowhere, power, or they, they, there can be all sorts of issues, uh, they've got to get everything back up and running very, very quickly. And so you need the right temperament and personality of, of, of person. And within the factory, people who can cope with those demands, uh, the hours, uh, season after season. You know, you've got to operate at your, at your maximum, at your best level, year after year after year, if you want to be successful. Um, and we used to have downtime during the year when I first came into Formula One. There'd be dips for the design office in the summer and there'd be a dip for race engineering in the winter. That doesn't happen anymore. People are working constantly throughout the year to improve the performance of this year's car or next year's. We're already working on next year's car. All of the teams will have next year's car in their wind tunnel going through the design office. So there is no more dip off. Uh, and so we need people who can cope and who can operate at their best for long periods of time. So you're describing some of the challenges associated with IT in the racing environment. Uh, but for you, IT is much more than infrastructure. So maybe give us some insight into the kind of scope that IT encompasses. Yeah, and look, the infrastructure is important, right? So we're, we're in the process of, of, of upgrading uh, and, and going to the latest technology in, in, you know, with one of our partnerships with BT. They're really helping us uh, uh, to improve the links that we have to the track so that we can now get data that's generated at the track back to the factory so that more engineers can work on it in real time as it's created. We haven't been able to do that until this year, until we started working with, with BT. So the infrastructure is really important. We've noticed that our network, some of it is hitting capacity. So we're doing a big refresh that will go live uh, uh, in the middle of August. Um, and and we'll, we'll be up to a, you know, a modern, fast, uh, uh, you know, great capacity. And, and so we'll get the infrastructure uh, right. But you're right, Michael. There, there's a lot more to, um, to, to what we do in Formula One uh, beyond just uh, infrastructure that, that people are familiar with. Uh, and, and especially, we, we see a competitive advantage in, in some of the applications that we're developing, as, as an example. I think if, if, if Williams have been underpowered in any particular area in, in, the, in the past decade, it's probably been in that area where some of our bigger competitors who are outspending us two to one, 
they're doing a lot more of their own development of their applications uh, than, than, than we have been. So we partnered with Avanard to bring us that development capability to help us with our digital journey. We, we, we felt that the tools our engineers were using, um, the mobility tools that they had so that they could work wherever they were on any piece of data safely and securely wasn't up to scratch and so that was one of the things that we wanted to sort out pretty quickly. So we partnered with Avanide to bring us a whole heap of development resource that we wouldn't have been able to uh, provide ourselves um, but skills and 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 uh, yeah we, we for, for example we, we developed a, a strategy application for our engineers this year to use at the track around tire optimization so a lot of data about our cars but also the data that we're provided by the tire manufacturer about all the cars so it helps you with some predictive analytics as well and our engineers, without this work that we did with uh, with the guys from Avanade, just wouldn't have had access to that data. And we were able to be much more aggressive in the early part of this year with our strategy uh, than we would have been able to be. But the thing I was most impressed with was we used offshore resources from Avanade. So we used a team in India to develop this application for us who'd never been to a Formula One track, as far as I know, most of them. I went out and met them in March uh, and, uh, and and spent some time with them. And they did a show and tell and, and demonstrated the application that they developed. Um, hadn't been to hadn't been to a race we're not you know race strategists themselves and yet they absolutely produced a tool that our engineers were able to use from that uh, from that first day but Avanide were also able to provide us with UI expertise and so we didn't just listen to what the engineers said and this is where it can be a bit contentious so if you ask an engineer what they want they'll you know they'll tell you down to the lowest detail this is exactly what I want don't do anything else and we said trust us and we got this UI expert to analyze how they work and then we produced a tool that he felt and we felt would be intuitive, much more intuitive for them. And actually our chief strategist said to me, I wasn't sure about what the, the, the direction you were taking, but actually I'm really pleased that, that I let you just, you know, not, I didn't try and talk you into doing it the way we've always done it. Because what you've produced now is much more uh, useful than, uh, than what you would have produced if I had put you in this box and constrained what you right. did. So tell us about the data. So tell us, give us a sense of the type of data that you're collecting from the cars and, and then let's talk about how you analyze that data and the impact of that data uh, on during the race itself and then following the race. So let's talk about the data. So the data, so we have about 200 uh, sensors on the car uh, and that's everything from brakes to tires to fluid levels, fuel uh, levels, heat, uh, temperature in different parts of the car, engine uh, sensors, all of, all of which are capturing about a thousand channels of data. On a Friday we have two practice sessions, two 90-minute practice sessions. That's probably when we generate, funnily enough, the most data. We'll put more sensors in so that we can take that data back into the factory, run it in the simulator, run it on our vehicle uh, science groups, uh, um, compute power that they've got, perhaps run it in the wind tunnel as well to, to, to calibrate the model. So we'll, we'll capture a lot more data. Um, at Silverstone, which was uh, the British Grand Prix uh, a couple of weeks ago, we generated about 20 gig of data just on that uh, on that Friday uh, from the car. Um, over the course of a whole race weekend, we'll probably generate about 120 to 150 gig of data. It depends. Uh, it depends if you get both cars to the finish. So that, that's one of the uh, that's one of the things that uh, determines how much data you have. Um, and about half of that is actually video. So we do a lot of video analysis of, uh, of our cars, of our pit stops, because the pit stop, you can gain half a second to a second uh, if you can improve your pit stop. So we really practice uh, uh, relentlessly, but we video it so that we can train the guys to, to do a better job during, during the pit stop. So there's the video analysis. There's all of the telemetry data that's coming off the car. 
that you've got about 40 people at the track analyzing, and then however many engineers we can now remotely, and we're starting to grow that group so that they can uh, do more analysis away from the track as well, because I think that is an advantage that some of our competitors have, where we, we were a little constrained by the by, by the technology, to be frank. We, we, we weren't able to get the data to our engineers um, remotely from the track, which we can now. And are, that sensor, are there sensors on the drivers as well, or the 200 sensors are purely car, car source data? That's that's purely the car data, um, and, and from time to time we will instrument the driver and we'll be looking at heart rate things like that. But it's hmm. it is an area I think there will be. I, I'm busy at the moment preparing uh, our IT strategy through 2020, and I'm going to present that to the board next week. And one of the areas that I think that is really of interest to us as a Formula One team uh, is wearables. I think wearables for the driver, but also for our pit crew, for the engineers, for, for our staff who are, who are producing that car, designing it, uh, and race engineering it. I think we can really, and it's not just about health, uh, which we do take seriously, and, and our guys are, are really looking after themselves in terms of diet and fitness. But there's a lot more I think we can do with wearables, you know, GPS positioning of the people during the pit stop, and also the drivers. The driver's health, I think, sometimes a driver will not perform at their optimum, and they, they won't really understand it. And I think if we had more instrumentation on the driver, we might know that perhaps you know they have they're, they're feeling a bit under the weather. You know, there's a bit of a bug there that that that, that you don't know. Uh, they lose a couple of kilos of weight during a race, you know, just from from the heat that there is in the cockpit. So, yeah, they're a big part of the package, you know, and they are part of that performance package. You know, the engine, the the, the tires, the chassis, but the driver is a big part of that performance. So, I think in the future you'll see more of that uh, instrumenting of the driver happen. So the way you're describing it, IT is not just uh, standing on the outside looking in at the business, so to speak. And in this case, the business has to include, I'm assuming includes both uh, the racing as you're describing as well as the back office functions. But you're actually a, a very significant participant in the race activities uh, and, and I'm assuming the back office activities as well. Yes, I, and and you know, so so Williams as a group have four businesses, uh, and the two that that we do the most work with are the, the Formula One side, but we also have an advanced engineering division. And what advanced engineering do is they take technology, know-how, uh, the things that we know about aerodynamics, lightweight materials, energy efficiency, and they apply it to all sorts of other industries uh, and all sorts of other uh, projects that we that where we've done for motorsports, for OEM car manufacturers, in aerospace. Uh, in, in, in lots of interesting industries. We did the batteries for the new electric formula that, that ran this year, Formula E. Um, and, and I think that's also an important part of IT playing a role in helping them to take advantage of technology. So as I'm looking at our strategy through 2020, some of what I'm looking at is actually where are there business opportunities for our advanced engineering group uh, to take advantage of technology and to be a leader in, in some of those technologies. But you're right, we, we have the back office function to support, but we are right there within the engineering of the car. I believe there is a competitive advantage, and more importantly, our chief technology officer Pat Simmons believes there is a technical advantage from IT, and I think that's really important. Graham, where do you? I mean, you're a social CIO. I see you active on Twitter. Uh, you know, you have video uh, uh, blogs. Uh, you actually blog as well. Uh, you know, where do you get your source of innovation? You talk about building an IT roadmap that looks ahead five years, and uh, given the speed of innovation. I mean, it's amazing what we can think about the possibilities five years from now. Did, where do you independent? Do you independently resource uh, research? Do you 
collaborate with other peer CIOs. I'm interested to know how do you formulate this vision for such an innovative company? I mean, there's got to be tremendous amount of pressure on your shoulders to <laughs> to to represent, you know, the the, the technology vision of Williams uh, Martini Racing. So, how do you do it? Uh, give us some insights and advice to other CIOs watching. So I follow people like you on Twitter, Vale, because you, you're pretty <laughs> prolific, right? Uh, uh, I, so I, I remember I used to subscribe to dozens of RSS feeds, right? And I and, and I used to be look, tracking technology, and and there's there's lots of really good uh, sources of information out there uh, in, who, who are tracking the technology trends and, and and who I follow. I've switched all that to Twitter now. I don't have a single RSS feed anymore. All of my information uh, feeds now come through Twitter. But I, I, I need to name check someone here. So Duncan Chapman, who I've worked with a lot in the past, a, a, a guy from Gartner, uh, has really helped me over the years um, and, and has helped that uh, independent advice as well. And there are other analysts that I follow uh, and, and, and look at uh, the trends that they're saying. And you know, not everything that they predict is going to come true, but uh, a lot of the trends that we're seeing already around social, mobile, analytics, cloud, these guys were predicting 10 years ago. Five years ago, I remember sitting in, in, in one of the uh, big conferences, uh, analyst conferences, and thinking, wow, uh, you know, uh, is what they're saying true? You know, are, are, are CIOs going to lose control? You know, we, this whole idea of there's a perimeter and everything's inside the perimeter and the CIO controls it. And, and they were talking about, you know, you're going to have to give up that control. Forget it. In fact, if you think you've got control, you've actually already lost it. Uh, and and I found, so I get, I get inspiration from those kind of people who make me think challenge me um, and I and and I bought that straight away I realized that you know this whole thing about bring your own and uh, device and uh, you know the first person to have a um, an iPad in, in those early days in my company was the CEO which happens to lots of uh, to, to lots of CIOs right it's the guy at the top who, who wants it I remember the PA of the CEO phoning me up the day after the first iPad was launched and said I want one I said, well, what are you going to do with it? I'm not sure, but they were queuing out the door to, to get this uh, this iPad thing, right? So I definitely need one. So, so yeah, so I, there are there are a lot of people that I that I follow and track and and technology trends that I look at. Some years ago, I was advised about 3D printing as being something that was really going to change the world. So I've been tracking that industry for the last three, four, five years. Um, 3D printing, uh, what's called 3D printing now, has been in Formula One since the late 90s. I mean, we've been 3D printing uh, our wind tunnel models since since the late 90s. Uh, so it's technology that we're really familiar with. And seeing it grow and starting to be used in all sorts of industries now, I think is fantastic. Um, so yeah, I, I I read as much as I can. Every day I'm, I'm looking at, uh, at, at, at news feeds on Twitter um, and, and making time. I have to make that time. Every, I think every CIO has to carve out some time every week to be looking at the trends, what's going on, what the commentary out there is, um, and, and that tends to be how I get the uh, get the guidance. Okay, let's let's talk about your relationship to other parts of the company. So you are very integrated with other business units and the the four different businesses that Williams Martini Racing operates. How did you? How are you able to make that happen? And what are some of the challenges that you face as a CIO in ensuring that that in ensuring the maintenance maintaining that connection to the business so that you're not on the outside looking in but so but that IT is a part of the business yeah I, I suppose the first thing to say is we we don't have a divine right to be 
you know, consulted on everything, right? I, so you hear, I, I often hear, <laughs> I, I get to talk to a lot of uh, CIOs. Um, uh, and one thing I should have mentioned to Vale in the last one is that I, I joined the CIO roundtable uh, and, and was working on, uh, with, with a bunch of CIOs from other sports, um, and we were collaborating together. So that was a, a source of, uh, of, uh, of information for me as well. And, and you know, some some of the people that I meet are you know are complaining that they don't they don't they're on the outside looking in and 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 I think you know we don't have a divine right to be on the inside. Uh, we have to prove that what we do is a competitive advantage in in whatever our industry is. Um, and and you know some people say to me, well, it's easy for you because you're you're in you know you're in F1, it's a high tech industry. Actually, it's really difficult in F1 because pretty much. 80 to 85% of my users think they know more than I do. And and <laughs> at least 50% of them do. If not, if not <laughs> right? So there's a challenge there that, that you you know you can't you can't try and hide. You can't, you know, if, if I don't know something, I tell them because they, they, they know more about it than I do. So I think the first thing is you've got to gain the credibility by by just relentlessly focusing on what on so, so there's something in Formula One that, that I, I learned in 1997 that I, I've shared ever since. Um, they talk about, does it make the car quicker? Hmm. If it doesn't make the car quicker, why are we doing it? And there's also, I, I always add a sidebar there. You need the car to be reliable as well. Uh, because I, I remember in 2005, Fernando Alonso, who was one of our drivers back then, saying, uh, anybody can make a car, a quick car for half a race. You've got to get to the end. We, we talk about... Will it make the car quicker? And I know that we're seeing now some of the Olympic teams, some of the rowing teams. Will it make the boat quicker? If not, get rid of it. Uh, we've had we've had that focus in Formula One, you know, from before I, I got there. Um, will it make the car quicker? Uh, and I say to people, what is in your business? What is that? Will it make the car quicker? What what are you as what, what's your goal as a business? And often CIOs have difficulty articulating that. They they uh, our job is to get stakeholder value and and and, and sure. double sure. profits and 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 they that's why they struggle to, to bring it back to what contribution are they making uh, to whatever the, the, the company's business success criteria are and I think that's always the first place to start what are your business success criteria tie your IT strategy to that prove that you that, that that's what you're doing that you're not in it for yourself you don't do IT projects for IT sake uh, I'm not I'm not with the team for my own uh, you know for my own reasons. I'm there because I want to see Sir Frank's face when we win a race and when we win more races and ultimately we win the championship. That, that's why I'm there. Um, and I, and I, I think sometimes IT professionals, we lose sight of that. And I, I like, that's what I like about Formula One. I think that's why a lot of people who come into Formula One will stay, is that focus. What I do, sure. They can see a link between what they do and that end product that we see on TV as it's going around the track. And when the car is not good, <laughs> That's when it's yeah. tough to motivate yourself, right? Because <laughs> you're sense. working as hard as ever, long hours, and, and your performance is not great. But when things are good, as they have been for Williams uh, last year, we finished uh, third in the championship, beating Ferrari, which I know gave the, the team a lot of satisfaction. Unfortunately, they're ahead of us so far this year, but we, we're, we're chasing them down. Um, but there's a relentless focus on what makes the car quicker, how, how can we succeed as a company in getting to the front of Formula One. That's terrific. So... so Oh, please, Vala, go ahead. You know, I'm going to go back to the theme of collaboration. You've got a company that's 600 employees strong. You have an IT organization that's 20. So, you know, less than 5% of the resources in IT, and you're doing extraordinary work with 
new applications and analytics and big data and, and, and implementing a vision to 2020. So you're obviously collaborating with partners. You mentioned BT, you mentioned Avanadi, you mentioned you know, working with UI, UX design experts. Talk to me about you know, how do you select, uh, what criteria do you look for in partners as you scale IT by being a super resourceful CIO? So I'm a little bit nervous about telling you the answer to this because then the other CIOs in Formula One might... Uh, <laughs> and, uh, no trade secrets, no trade secrets. <laughs> no, I, I'm joking. I, the partnerships are really important, right? I, I think a, a normal you know, vendor-supplier relationship where they sell you something and they come back in three years and they sell you some more or they come back in 12 months because they know you're going to need more capacity, That I, I don't think that that necessarily works in Formula One. The advantage that we get from partnering with, with Avanade, with, with BT, and with some of the other tech companies that we're working with is that they buy into our success. They want us to be successful because we are a reference, we are a, an extreme example of their technology services. Uh, we, we show the world them at their best. Um, and, and there have been times that we've done partnerships and the world doesn't know about it because it didn't work out. You know, for, for all we we all tried, we did our best, but it the product, the service just didn't work in our Formula One context. And so we won't stand up and talk about it and, and, and pretend that it was okay. We need our credibility, first of all. Um, and and the partners know that. They know that if they want us to be that example of their technology at its best, they've got to deliver. Uh, and I and I think that enhances the IT team you know, magnificently, because we're all there focused, wanting the team to be successful, but so do they. So we, we have six Avanade people who work on our site uh, every day, and then we have the offshore teams. I, I love being in meetings with, with, with the guys, and when you're sitting in those meetings, you can't tell who's Avanade and who's Williams. Awesome. They talk so about they have it. one team. Awesome. Yeah, we talk about the race on the weekend, right. we're, you know, they're all watching it, they're all, they all care about the results. It's you know th that partnership goes beyond just a you know a supplier who's trying to sell you more resource uh, down the line. Um, yeah, I was going to say we we have a, a comment from Twitter from Frank Scavo, who's a top technology industry analyst, who brings up the point about uh, indirect value being added to make the cargo faster, as you were saying, and he, and so he says on this notion of uh, relationships with your partners, for example, paying your partners on time. Things as small as that will have some type of impact, won't they? Wait, what, what do you mean by hang your partners on time? That might be a... Uh, a uh, paying, paying your suppliers on time. Oh, paying them on time. Got it. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think that's really important, right? So, so Williams will not raise an order that we couldn't pay on time. I mean, that's just, you know, culturally, you know, how we operate. Our core values are honesty, integrity, transparency, and excellence. And it just, that's the kind of company that we are. And, and I think, I think that's, so I see the point, you know, that you can, you can improve your relationships with your suppliers. You know, I had a supplier uh, who I worked with for, for many, many years, uh, who I'd phone up and say, something's broken or we need something this afternoon because it's all being shipped off to Canada for the, for the race or today we packed for, for Hungary and, and, and something's not working and, and we need something. 
I've had times when he drove down three, four hours to our factory to personally deliver it for us, and that wasn't wow. a partnership. That was a that was a supplier who. So it, you know, it it can work. It, you you can build that relationship. I used to joke with him that there was the seven year itch. I would say, we've been working together for seven years. You're going to stop giving me the same attention now, and he never did, right? And and it was a it was a fantastic uh, supplier relationship. So it can work, and it's a two way street. You know, we we were we were fair with them, and they were fair with us. But I think with when you bring someone really into the the critical path of the car, like we've done with Avenite, you know, the the, the performance uh, at the track relies on the solutions that they're producing for us. You need people who are really bought into your success because every race that we miss, so if we don't get something to to Hungary, which is the next race, you've lost that opportunity. It doesn't come back. You can't delay a product launch by a week or two weeks and say, you know, there's no impact. There's always an impact when we don't deliver. There's always an impact to car performance. And so we want people who care about it as much as we do. And that's what we get with these partnerships. The guys from BT who are currently deploying the new solutions for us are absolutely committed to us. Uh, you'll see them tweeting about our performance at the track. They, they, they're bought yes. in. It's fantastic. What about this idea of risk? Uh, how, what, where does risk come into play in the context of the race? You said you don't want to set up a wall around using Facebook, for example. But but still, there is a concept of, of protecting the corporate assets and risk. As a CIO, that has to be very important to you. Yeah, I, I, I care a lot about risk. I mean, one of the things I did coming into uh, into the Williams team was to establish a, a, a risk committee who meet regularly, uh, who document the risks, who've taken accountability and responsibility for, for the IT risks. Uh, we, we're taking a much broader view of risk than, than perhaps uh, Williams did in the past. Now, it, when you talk about risk, everyone thinks of IT security um, but uh, and maybe compliance as well. But you know, we, we also look at performance and availability. We look at those four areas as, as our risks. Um, we did a partnership with a company called DTEX. It was the first one that I did. And DTEX do an audit tool. So now we can tell, and it's really important, not just from a Formula One uh, uh, point of view, but our advanced engineering company have the intellectual property or confidential information of our customers. So we either jointly develop IP or we use their IP to produce a product for them. So we, we have to prove to them that we are safeguarding their uh, confidential information and, and intellectual property. And I also, you know, when we talk about data loss, I, I, I don't like to just focus on IP. Because when you talk about IP, people think of designs, drawings that, uh, you know, you can physically share around. They don't think about the confidential information around any part of our business, who our sponsors are, what the deals are looking like, who we're talking to in terms of becoming uh, technical partners with the team. All that information is valuable to us. Um, and I think the other thing that, that we've really focused is on understanding how long certain types of information have value. Because not, I think many of us treat all information the same and it's, and it's valuable forever. And that's not true. Uh, the Formula One car from three or four seasons ago is almost irrelevant now. The technology has changed so much in Formula One. In 2014, we brought in all new regulations uh, and new hybrid uh, power units, um, new new technology. Um, and so the older data is not that relevant now. But the data for our car next year, right now, is our most confidential information that we should absolutely be protecting. So I, I, I put a lot of my focus, uh, a lot of my time on IT risk. Um, and and I, I believe... I believe in audit over blocking. I, I really, 
you know, we, we, we moved to Office 365 last year. We could have locked that down, taken all these nice features that are in it and, and, and prevented our users from using them because maybe we were going to feel less secure or, or that our data was going to be uh, uh, at risk. Um, I, by putting the audit tool that we have in from DTEX, we're able to tell where our data is at rest, in movement, being printed, and our customer data, and, 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 we, can, and we can protect it. So uh, you, you're right to raise it. I think it's a really important, and, and for, for most of us, for most CEOs, it's really, really important that we are protecting uh, our intellectual property, the things that will make us successful. Sure. Graham, you uh, clearly have you know lockstep relationship with R&D and engineering and the folks that are building and, and making the car faster and better and more quality. Can you talk to us a little bit about your working relationship with the CMO and the marketing organizations within within Williams Racing? So there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of debate going on, isn't there, in, in our industries at the moment? It uh, is. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> a couple of years ago, we were talking about the death of the CIO, right? The CIO right, is right, right. going to be the chief digital officer. You know, there's not going to be a CIO. There's just going to be you know, a, an operational guy who sit in the corner and just keep the lights on. And all the really good, fun, interesting stuff is going to is going to happen in marketing, right? Um, there we are. And we're and we're talking about budget, right? So there's this this whole shift of budget. Marketing's taking all of uh, all, all of IT's budget. Actually, I have a great relationship with our CMO, um, and actually, I have a great relationship with Avanade CMO as well, uh, Stella Goulet, who who I've done a lot of work with this year around the partnership and 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 the messaging of how we are uh, digitizing our business, how we are turning uh, our our, uh, our workplace into a digital workplace, uh, and and what that means for us to enable mobility and collaboration. Um, I've asked Avanade to focus on usability, and I've asked our internal teams as well. Think about what it's like for the person that you're developing or, or, or bringing the solution to. What's it going to be like for them to use it? Often we, 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 we and, and, and maybe it comes from some of the big vendors who, who produce these, these huge solutions, and then you need to go on a week's training course to learn how to use it. I, I want things that are intuitive for our users to use, that they can pick up and use straight away, uh, when, when we did the Office 365 move, we asked, we did a staff survey. We asked them all, do you want formal training lessons? And they all said, just give it to us. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll pick it up as we go along. We know, you know, Outlook is not that difficult uh, a tool to use. So that's the kind of thing that we want to do. We, we want to produce tools and solutions that are uh, easily usable, but we want to think about them from the user perspective, not from an IT perspective, not from what's easiest for us to support. I think I was, I've been as guilty through my long career in IT from, from 1990 uh, on uh, in, in doing things that were easier for us to support. If, if everyone has the same laptop, it's really easy for IT to support that estate. That's not good. That's not good for our, <laughs> for our colleagues. Uh, no. So, yeah. I, so, you're, so you're definitely focused from looking at technology from the user perspective. We have only a few minutes left. So... Innovation is obviously very important to you. So tell us a little bit about uh, innovation, how you innovate, how the company thinks about innovation. There's that say, innovate or die. In Formula One, if, if you're not innovating constantly through the season, you will just disappear down the, down the order. Uh, Success for a Formula One team is finishing as high as possible in, in, in the Constructors' Championship. That brings in your income. Uh, that gets you TV time if, you, if you're on the podium. 
Uh, so being successful on the track is really important. And the only way you can do that is by constantly iterating and innovating. And so as a company, and, and I think as, as an industry, Formula One has this ethos of constantly innovate. And so there's an expectation that whether you're working in marketing or you're working in uh, in, in IT or in, in, in other parts of the business, you will innovate as well. You will constantly bring innovation to the team to help with our key business success criteria. Graham, give us some advice to fellow CIOs. How do they accelerate innovation? How do they stay relevant? What's the one or two things that they need to constantly focus on in order to make sure IT has a proverbial seat at the table? So what I so one of the things I do is every day I leave my desk and I go and visit someone in the company. And I go and talk to them about what are their challenges, what are they working on. Uh, I don't necessarily ask them where can IT help. I just want to understand what they're doing uh, and, and, and I'll maybe be able to come up with some, some suggestions and areas that we can help. Very often, of course, they'll tell me <laughs> that they want help and they, and they want me to help. But I think we've got, we've got to get out there. Uh, and my management team as well, I encourage them every single day, get out there, talk to the rest of the company find out what their challenges are. Um, because I, I think you can lose touch with, uh, you know, the regulation changes every single year in Formula One. There's this constant changing uh, landscape of, of, of regulation uh, and how the car has to be produced and designed. Um, and we need, to, we need to understand that if we're going to be able to produce solutions that are, that are going to help. So I think it's being in touch with the company. I, I've talked to CIOs who, who feel like they're a separate business. They, they could just take the IT function and it could be completely separate from the company. I, I feel that that's a huge mistake because uh, then you're just you're just a supplier. You're not bought in like like we are. You know, like I think we are in, in Formula One. IT groups in Formula One are, are absolutely part of the of the critical path of a Formula One car. And and I think that's the best way to make sure that you are you're listening to what people are are, are needing, and you're and you're going off. And if you're if you're focused on that usability and giving people tools that will make their lives easier will get the data to them quicker, will make the car quicker, then, then, then you will have a seat at the table. They, they, they will value you. But the only way to do that is to prove it. And, and one of the things I've said to my management team is, we need to get our own house in order. IT needs to be efficient. We need to be spending the money that we get wisely. We, we, I, I hate waste. We should not waste any of the money because whatever money we can give back to the team, Whatever money we can save by doing partnerships or by uh, finding technology or someone who will give it to us a bit cheaper, whatever money we can save, we'll go back to the car and we'll go back to more iterations, more design, more development. Um, so, so we really want to focus on in, internally, are we doing the best job? Are we the best IT function that, that we can be? Those companies that, 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 are, that, you know, that shadow IT is a big problem in and people are off buying all their own solutions and services. Again, there's that divine. You don't have the divine right to be the IT vendor anymore as an internal function. If you're not absolutely sitting next to them, living their pain. Uh, uh, if you if you know, if you work to shift, all your people work to shift and go home, and they're not there when the engineer is working and struggling, and he can't get hold of you when he needs help. Then then, then you don't deserve a place at the table. Graham, we have just two minutes left, and so. Very briefly, you know, this relationship is a two-way street. And so what advice do you have to non-IT executive management in terms of creating an opportunity for IT to really shine? That's a really good one. Uh, I, and 
that's important. Give your IT a chance. Uh, you know, if you if you're if you're an IT function that is constantly being driven down on on your funding levels, you've just got to reduce everything that you spend. If there was a trade-off, I remember Dave Aaron from Gartner saying, if you could if you could get the agreement with your company to take everything that you saved operationally on a seesaw and they gave it to you to in, to do innovation, wouldn't the company be better off? And so I, I think. I would I would say that to other executives within companies. Give your IT function a chance, but also don't, it's not all about you know squeezing the money and, and and trying to get IT as cheap as possible. I I I think we're through that. Innovate. Give them the opportunity to innovate. Give them some headspace to innovate. If they're constantly firefighting, if all the resources are absorbed on keeping the lights on, you're not going to get the best out of your IT function. They care. You know they 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 want to be part of uh, part of the the successful output. Fantastic. Vala, we learned a lot about F1 racing today. Uh, that was a fast, no pun intended, 45 minutes. And uh, Graham, as, as expected, dropped a lot of uh, incredible advice. Thank you so much, Graham. I know it's uh, you know past 8 o'clock uh, local time for you, so spending a Friday evening with us, it was a privilege. Thank you. Thank you, Vala. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Michael. We have been talking today on episode number 121 with Graham Hackland, who is the Chief Information Officer of Williams Martini Racing. Everybody, thank you for watching. Uh, please sign up for our newsletter so you can stay abreast of the latest on CXO Talk and stay connected to our guests. Next week at this time, we will be speaking with Craig Newmark, who is the founder of Craigslist. Everybody, thank you so much for watching. Vala, I hope you have a great week. You as well, Michael. Thank you. You as well, Graham. Thank you. Everybody, goodbye.